Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. We have the privilege here of having some amazing teachers and pastors, and one of those is our worship pastor, Emily Bowes. I almost said Lewin. Emily (laughs) Bowes, who's going to come and share the word today. Let's welcome her as she comes. We were laughing that we're having like a family takeover of the service because my brother was leading worship and now I'm speaking. So (laughs) I love it though. It's so amazing to be able to do life with family. Uh, So if you don't know, today is Pentecost Sunday. And um, I feel like that's fairly well known if you've been in church for a while. So I am excited to talk about Pentecost, but I want to take a little bit of a slightly different approach to it. And you can probably see... I made some fancy slides. We'll see how well we get through them. We were having some technical difficulties. So Jesus, cover all the things, please, um, and help everyone receive what you want them to get out of this this morning. So we're going to jump right in and um, read some scriptures. If you want to go to the next slide, this is Acts 2, 2 through 4 in the Passion Translation. This will be familiar, but we're going to pull out a couple pieces of this. So let's just read through this. It says, on the day Pentecost was being fulfilled... All the, disciple, all the disciples were gathered in one place. Suddenly, they heard the sound of a violent blast of wind rushing into the house from out of the heavenly realm. The roar of the wind was so overpowering, it was all that anyone could bear. That's pretty intense. I don't know if we think about that, you know? Like, can you imagine, it, like, hurricane-force winds in the room that you're in, in this room? Like, if we were all gathered and this was the upper room? blowing through so hard like nobody can even stand it it's so intense and then all at once a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes and it separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each one of them they were all filled and equipped with the holy spirit that's pretty awesome filled and equipped given powerful tools right and were inspired to speak in tongues empowered by the holy spirit to speak in languages they had never learned So I want to pull out a couple different pieces of this, and the first thing I want to point out is um, God wants to be close to us. If you don't get anything else from everything that I talk about today, God wants to be close to you. He wants to have intimate relationship with you, and all throughout Scripture, from the Old Covenant all the way to today, we see God intentionally taking action to have connection, to be close, and that's what a big piece of what this looks like. God is powerful, right? I mean, he's the most powerful being in the entire universe. And I think sometimes we forget that God is this huge, powerful, awesome being. And sometimes when he shows up, it can be a little intense, you know? (laughs) Huge, intense winds and pillars of fire and all of this stuff. So let your imagination kind of be filled with some of these sights and sounds. Like, God wants to speak to you through your imagination. So don't just go past it like, oh, this is a story I've heard forever, pillar of fire, wind, like, yeah, yeah. Like, think about that for a second and let your imagination kind of take flight with some of these pictures. So why were the disciples gathered in Jerusalem? You can go to the next slide. Uh, So it said that when Pentecost was being fulfilled, and I think... A lot of us growing up in church think that that means when Holy Spirit was being poured out. But Pentecost is actually a Jewish holiday that they were celebrating. And it's one of only three holidays where they're commanded to go to Jerusalem. 
So not only were the disciples gathered there, but if you remember later in Acts 2, it talks about them going out and preaching the gospel in all these different languages, and all these people from all over were hearing it in their own language. Do you guys, is that familiar? Yes? So the reason there were people there from all over is because they were celebrating Pentecost. Uh, They were all coming to offer the first fruits of their harvest to the Lord. And uh, Pentecost is a Greek word that means 50th. And it's because this holiday, the Hebrew word for it is Shavuot, but the Greek word is Pentecost. And uh, the holiday is 50 days after Passover. And uh, Jesus died, if you remember, during the Feast of Passover. There's way more. If you don't know anything about Passover, look into it. It's amazing. But um, Jesus died during Passover, and it had been about 50 days since he'd been resurrected. Okay, so just keep that little tidbit in your minds. We're going to come back to it. So they were gathered because they were celebrating Pentecost, which is the feast of the first fruits coming to God. Yeah? Yeah? And let's go back, go to the next slide, to that verse. So we know Pentecost is being fulfilled. That's why they're there. And then all at once, a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes. So where else have you guys seen a pillar of fire? Moses, Mount Sinai, right? Okay, great. See? You guys are on it. Um, You can go to the next one. So when God was bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt, right? So I mentioned Passover a minute ago. This is the origin of Passover, if you don't know. So if you remember, the children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt, and uh, God sent Moses to help bring them out, right? And Pharaoh was resisting. So God sent 10 plagues, and during the 10th plague, the angel of death passed over the Jewish children and they were spared. So that's where we get the name Passover, because they were passed over by the angel of death. And then Pharaoh said, okay, I'll let your people go. And anyone know that song? Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh, don't leave me hanging. Let my people go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that was sad. Come on, guys. Um, So I kept thinking about this when I was writing this. I kept thinking, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. So after the 10th plague, Moses said, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. And he's like, okay, I'll let your people go. Um, And so God led them out of Egypt with a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. So we're seeing this theme, right? There's a pillar of fire that's the presence of God leading his people out of darkness, out of slavery, into freedom. And we see the same thing when we're looking at... um, the, we see the same manifest presence of God, if you go to the next slide, when we're looking at Pentecost with the disciples in the upper room. So you can see, it's kind of fun. I like to be a little bit nerdy with scripture because in Proverbs it says it's the glory of God to conceal things and the glory of kings to search it out. And he hides mysteries and wisdom in scripture. And God doesn't do anything on accident. He does everything on purpose. And so it was 50 days from Jesus' death during Passover to the Holy Spirit outpouring during Pentecost. It was 50 days from the deliverance in Egypt at the original Passover to Mount Sinai, which we're going to talk about in a second. Another fun thing about the 50 days, if you're like a nerdy Bible person, is that it's also seven weeks, and seven is the number of completion. So you had seven weeks from Jesus' death to the Holy Spirit outpouring, and seven from the deliverance to Mount Sinai. So just a little fun fact. So let's talk about what happened at Mount Sinai. You can go to the next slide. So do you guys remember the story of Mount Sinai where God appears before the people in his glory? And this is something I think is super cool about 
this element of the story because we know with Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, God, it's for everyone, right? Like God wants all of his people to hear his voice. He's indwelling in each of us. He wants to speak to you directly. He wants to commune with you specifically. But I think we think in the Old Testament of it being a little more separate. But it said at Mount Sinai, God wanted every single person to hear his voice. He showed up on top of this mountain with fire. There's that like manifest presence again, this same pillar of fire, the same Holy Spirit, right? Shows up with fire and clouds and smoke and thunder and lightning and trumpets and all this stuff. It's like this huge display of God's glory on the mountain. I uh, grew up in Colorado and one time I was driving home from somewhere on this like windy mountain road and it was really stormy and I looked up and the tops of all of the mountains were covered in like fog and cloud and I could actually see around one of the mountains like lightning coming out and like striking the mountain and it was very very cool and very intense and I remember thinking wow this is probably a tiny taste of what it would have been like to be the children of Israel standing at the foot of this mountain and seeing this huge storm cloud with lightning and thunder let your imagination think about that for a second got this huge mountain, you've got storm clouds around it, and fog, and lightning, and thunder, and then you hear the voice of God speaking out of that to you. Pretty intense, right? And so God appears, and he speaks audibly to the people, giving them the Ten Commandments and some other laws that we're going to talk about in a second. Um, And God calls them a kingdom of priests, his holy people, and calls them to obey so they can have intimacy and draw near to him. And the people's response is, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. And actually, if you look, so all Jewish people all over the world right now that are celebrating Pentecost, the traditional thing that they say, like the verse that they say is, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. Like that's the thing that you say for Pentecost. What was really exciting to me about that is if you've been in our church for any length of time, You'll have heard Romy and Clayton talking about listening, hearing, and obeying, right? We, we love the Lord. We move in the kingdom. We grow in gifts. We um, listen and obey. Have you guys heard that? Yeah. Yes? Okay, great. So this is a reflection of that, right? So, and God is call, making this available to these people, and sadly, because of any number of reasons, because they believed in fear, they didn't take advantage of this moment, Right? So they're standing there at the foot of the mountain, and it said that all the people stood far away. God wanted them to come close. He actually said, tell all the people to come up to me. And they stood far away, and they said, no, Moses, you go. You talk to God and come back and tell us what he says. So they asked someone else to stand between them and God and tell them his word, right? How sad would you be if you were God in that moment, right? But Jesus has the redemption of that exact thing happening in the upper room Pentecost story, right? Because he's offering it again. He's showing up again with clouds and fire and all of these things, and he's saying, hey, come, talk to me, come be with me, let me speak to each one of you, and we're getting to experience the redemption of that first Pentecost, that first outpouring, right? So one thing I love is that um, in Peter... 1 Peter 2, it says, you 
are God's chosen treasure, priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness, like leaving Egypt, right? Leaving whatever um, you needed to be delivered from, right? Leaving darkness and coming out to experience his marvelous light. And he claims you as his very own. God claims you as his very own. And he did this so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders through the world. For at one time you were not God's people, but now you are. At one time you knew nothing of God's mercy because you hadn't received it, but now you are drenched with it. And it's really exciting to me because I think there's, you know, sometimes we can get so detached from these stories we read in the Old Covenant and not connect them to our lives right now, right? And we read about, like, Jewish people and Israelites, and you're like, why does all of this connect? But God had something special available, and he offered it. Unfortunately, at that moment, some of those people didn't take him up on it. But we have the opportunity today to stand in the redemption of that and take full advantage of what he is offering. Does that make sense? It's a shared inheritance. I don't believe in replacement theology, so I don't think that uh, Israel and the Bible has been fully replaced by the church. This can get very technical, but basically all you need to know is it's shared. It's a shared inheritance. God invited us as a spiritual nation to share and take hold of these beautiful promises. So we get to now say, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. Will you guys say that with me? All the Lord has spoken, we will do. We're going to listen and obey. That's awesome. So let's go to the next slide. So God gives laws about bringing the first fruits of the harvest 50 days after Passover as an offering. So when they're at Mount Sinai, God gives all of these different laws, and he's like, okay, I want to make a way for you guys to be able to connect with me, right? That's what all of the laws were. The laws were not trying to restrict them or make their lives hard. The laws were trying to make a way for people to connect with God. We don't have to abide by the law anymore because Jesus fulfilled that, but we can still learn some principles from this stuff that can be applicable in our lives. So um, giving the first fruits required faith and trust, and it demonstrates our dependence on God and acknowledges his blessing and provision. So what they would do is you'd have Passover, which is kind of in the early spring. It's about the same time as Easter, and so you'd have Passover in the early spring, and then you would start to watch for the first blossoms of whatever you are growing. It's an agricultural society, so it's slightly different, but if you've ever grown anything in a garden, you know how excited you get when you see the first thing come out, right? I'm so not a gardening person, and my poor husband, I grew some things, and I was like, they're growing! Like, I was so happy, you know? So um, anytime you have those first little buds, right, you get really excited. So they would literally tie a string around the first bud that was going to be the first fruit to mark it for the Lord. And then during the 50 days between Passover and Pentecost, that was the harvest time. So when they got close to Pentecost, they would uh, uh, harvest that first fruit, put it in a special basket, and carry it to Jerusalem in this like really fun, loud, rejoicing festival. They said people would be like singing on the roads on the way there and dancing and celebrating. They actually said all the men would dance around and all the women, children, and old people would stand around the sides and like clap and sing, which I think is quite fun. Maybe we should try that again. Um, (laughs) But it's this really, really joyful festival 
of bringing the first fruits to the Lord. And I thought it was so interesting to think about, like, we can, we'll get into some of the, where we see first fruits in our lives, but think about the intentionality of that. Like, you're growing your food, right? Like, we don't, we're not as connected to this because we're not dependent on our own, you know, garden to eat, right? But you're growing your own food, and the first thing that you see bud, in our natural human mind, our first response is going to be to keep that for ourselves, just in case, right? Like, don't we tend to do that? It's like, oh, the first thing you see come out, you're like, awesome, we get to eat out a little extra, or like, we get to have some friends over, or I get to hold on to this, just in case. Because if you can imagine how much trust this required, if you designate the first one for the Lord, and then... Uh, frost comes and kills everything else and you have no other harvest, are you still going to give the first one to the Lord? Right? It requires us to not have a backup plan, right? To, it demonstrates our dependence on God for his provision to designate that first fruit to him and, and really honor him and give that to him. So um, let's go over to the next slide. So where do we see this word first fruits other places in the bible what talks about jesus was the firstborn or the first fruit among many brothers right when god raised jesus from the dead it says he's the first fruit among many brothers in first corinthians 15. uh in james 117 it says which i this is one of my favorite verses it says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Think about that with your imagination, right? God doesn't even have a shadow, like, maybe I'll change over here. No, no, like, his shadow doesn't even move. He is the same, always. Like, you can always depend on God to not change. And so, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So Jesus is first fruits, we're first fruits. And this is really fun. Pentecost is considered the first fruit of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, you can go over to the next slide. It says, "To this day we're aware of the universal agony and groaning of creation, as if it were in the contractions of labor for childbirth, and it's not just creation. We who've already experienced the first fruits of the Spirit also inwardly grown as we passionately long to experience our full status as God's sons and daughters, including our physical bodies being transformed. This is the hope of our salvation. Hope means we must trust and wait for what is still unseen. For why would we need to hope for something we already have? And then it's a really interesting commentary note. It said the first fruits of the spirit. So if, all, if, if what we're experiencing right now is only the first fruits, what do you think the full harvest looks like? We're talking the very first little buds are what we've seen. Jesus raising from the dead was the first fruit of, of resurrected harvest, right? So think about that. It says the first fruits of the Spirit would include his indwelling presence, his gifts, his wisdom, and his transforming power. His presence, his gifts, his wisdom, and his power are all just the beginning. Imagine what the full harvest of the Spirit will bring to us. And I'm seeing, as I'm going through scripture, there's a real tie between waiting, hoping, trusting, and this idea of first fruits, right? Because we talked about, like, you're tying a string around the first fruit. You're praying and hoping the rest of the fruit comes in, right? You're hoping that that honor for the Lord is going to result in his provision. But it, 
places your heart in a place of dependence. And like it says, hope means we must trust and wait for what is still unseen. So this is a position, I, I mean, I find myself in a lot. Have you guys been in the position of having to wait for something that's unseen? I think we all have, right? Yeah. Yes, Mita knows that one. Uh, so this is where I think this gets really interesting for us. It takes a lot of faith and a trust to offer the first of the harvest to the Lord. So let's go over to the next slide. What are our first fruits? Because we don't bring sacrifices to it. Um, we're not under the law. Like I said, there's principles here that we can follow. God wants to be part of everything that we do. So, you know, we're not growing fruit anymore, but what are we doing? Think about what you do in your everyday life, and God wants to be part of all of that. He wants to participate in all of that. My, one of my favorite things about Holy Spirit is that he's literally the best at everything, so anything that you ever want to do, like it talks about in, this, in the Bible about how God gave the spirit of skill to people that were building the temple. Um, he's given the spirit of skill for, and it'll say like all metal work, all handiwork, all work with jewels, all work with gold. It's like he doesn't just give you a little bit. If God's going to give you a spirit of skill for something, you're going to get it all, you know. And so we have that spirit living in us, right? So if you are, if you know Jesus... You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You have that Spirit living in you, and you can access that. I used to do photography professionally, and sometimes I would be walking into a shoot, and I would feel so uninspired, and I would just picture Holy Spirit almost like around me. I would kind of see it like almost like a rainbow or this sort of colorful something around me, and I would just be like, Spirit of skill, Spirit of skill. I need some skill. I need some creativity. I need some wisdom, and I would just like grab it all into my spirit and be like, help me out here. And because I'm like, man, God, I want people to see themselves the way that you see them. Will you help me take pictures of people that communicate what you see about them? And I would be like, spirit of skill, help me do that, you know, because I can't, I can't do that. I mean, I can take some pretty pictures of people, but I can't like infuse them with something, you know. And so, um, but God can do that. I would have people be like, I've literally never seen a photo of myself that I've ever liked in my entire life, but I like these. I don't know why. I'm like, well, because... Holy Spirit helped me, <laughs> you know, but anything you do, he's good at, and he's the helper, and he wants to help us, and we have all the time access. We don't go three times a year to a temple to try to connect. We are the temple, you know. One thing I really liked, um, I really like the Bible Project, if any of you guys have seen that. They have a lot of really great videos. And they do an awesome breakdown of Acts. And one thing they point out is that at Pentecost, um, you see the parallel of two temples. You have Herod's temple where people were offering sacrifices and Jesus' temple, which was a mobile temple in his disciples, in his followers. And that we get to live, as he said, the radical thing about the, the followers of Jesus at that point is they started to live as if Jesus was king of the whole world. Like, what would our lives look like if we lived like that? Yeah. Like, do I live my life like Jesus is the king of the whole world and that I'm getting to help spread his kingdom? It challenged me, for sure. <laughs> um, so we can keep getting into that, but I just want to give you guys some ideas um, around that. It actually says in Ephesians 2, God is transforming each one of you into the holy of holies. He's transforming you into the holy of holies. 
where he can dwell through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. So we have access to God full-time, 24-7, no barriers. Like David was singing, like there's no separation. Um, I think a really obvious place to start with first fruit, what do you guys think about when we say spirit and fruit? The fruit of the, you can say it loud. The fruit of the spirit, yeah. So um, you guys know these, but let's think about, so if we're just seeing the initial, if the first fruit of the outpouring of the spirit is just these things seen so far, I'm going to read through them, and I know they're familiar, but try to think about what would it look like for me to experience the fullness of love in all its varied expressions, the fullness of joy that overflows, the fullness of peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. It says, never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. So we have limitless access to all of that in us. It's already in us. My grandpa used to say, uh, I'd be like, oh, I'm so angry. That person made me angry. And he's like, well, you're not anger. You are the righteousness of Christ and Jesus. So you are joy. You are peace. You have those things in you. You might feel angry, but you're not. Like, no one made you into anger, you know? That's not your identity. Your identity is in these things. Like, we can actually lay hold of and access these things. Um, awesome. So I want to jump into a couple of things. I think the, the easiest way to think about first fruit, because if it was a principle before that we could bring our first fruit to God as this dependence thing, right, as this opportunity for trust. I think there's still an opportunity for us to do that now and kind of apply that to just create a rhythm for ourselves of going to him, receiving from him, being dependent. There's these rhythms that you can find in the Bible and apply into your life that create peace, that create rest, that help you stay connected. So I think the easiest way to think about first fruits is to ask, where, where do I go first for anything? Wisdom, comfort, rest, provision, strength, you know, peace. Where do I go first? And the answer to that question is going to show you where you're giving your first fruits. So we can look at a couple applications for that. If you want to go to the next slide. So one that's really interesting, and Michaela actually touched on this with her word, is worship. So one of the Ten Commandments that God gave at Mount Sinai at the initial Pentecost, right, was you will have no other gods before me. And it can be really easy to put other things in place of God because they feel bigger. We lose sight of the, like, Mount Sinai God, you know, this, like, huge, powerful God, and we're like, oh, my bills, you know. And we forget that, like, God is in us, with us, right? And so we create these golden calves. This was something actually really sad that I realized, that the children of Israel, when they built the golden calf, I always thought they were like off in the desert somewhere, and Moses was over here on the mountain, and they were far away, and they just like couldn't really see what was going on, so they, you know, built a calf. No, they could see the mountain. So like, God's there in all that splendor and radiance, pillar of fire, clouds, lightning, trumpets, all that. And at the bottom of the mountain, in full view of God, they built a golden calf. Like, that's how easy it is to set up an idol that you can understand, right? Like, we want something we can control 
and see and understand and is kind of like within the realm of what we can grasp onto, right? Like um, my brother Josh and I were chatting about this and he's like, we like idols we can negotiate with, you know, where I'm like, oh, I'll give you some, you know, some bread and like you give me a Mercedes Benz, right? Like <laughs> we want idols that we can kind of control, really. That's really what it is. And even in Eden, I was thinking about this, even in the Garden of Eden, right, they have the manifest presence of God right there, walking with them every single day. And the enemy just offers them the idol of knowledge, which is right in line with what Michaela was saying. He's like, yeah, but like, you don't know all the things. If you knew things, if you had more knowledge then you could be like God. You could do it yourself. You wouldn't need God. You could have self-sufficiency, right? That's what all of these idols are really offering. It's self-sufficiency. If I can build an idol that I can control, then I can be enough for my own life, and I don't need God anymore. Woo! (laughs) Doesn't work out very well for people, right? So all of these idols, it's so easy to do. This is one that always gets me, um, is that worry is and fear our faith in the wrong god they're not a lack of faith you have faith that god is not going to do what he promised you have faith that god is not enough that he's not able right worry is faith in the wrong god and that's tough i mean i i get anxiety about stuff right like i get worried but one thing i've learned is that like god does not shame for the way that we feel, right? Like he knows that we're humans. He was a human. He understands. And so I've had so many moments, like even things with work, like I have a full-time job that can be really intense sometimes. And sometimes I'll just get caught up in this thing in my mind where I'm like anxious or worried about work, or it just feels like this huge problem that's over my head, right? That do you guys ever have that feeling where something's just like over you? And you're like, oh, I have this anxiety. But we can go to God in that moment, and he doesn't shame us for feeling the anxiety, but if I'm like, God, I feel anxious, but I know that you're good. I know that you've got this. I know that you're providing. I know you're going to work it out. It's different, though, because one thing actually Kim gave me a great reminder on when she spoke is that I'm not under it begging God to change things, right? Like, I'm not under this circumstance, like, please come save me. I'm actually seated in heavenly places with Christ over all of it, right? Like, all of that is underneath, because it says all of it's under his feet. I'm sitting with him. It's under our feet too, right? So we're seated in heavenly places with Christ above all of that, and we can sit there and be like, wow, Jesus, I don't know how you're going to work this out, but you are going to work it out, because that's what you do, because you're good, and you provide, and you're God. And it brings so much more peace, even if you still feel some anxiety, to switch your perspective to like, oh, I'm not under, I'm over. Okay, I'm looking down on this problem, not up. You know? Does that make sense? And so that's been such a huge thing for me to realize. And one of the quickest ways to do that is worship. Because if you're really coming into worship and truly engaging your heart with the Lord, Clayton talked about this last week. You are not really, like, getting the answer to the problem necessarily, but you're getting Jesus. And Jesus has the answer to the problem. (laughs) 
And so if you come to worship in search of Jesus, you're going to get peace, and then he's going to bring provision. And then you're not having any other gods before him. Because we, in worship, we lift him up. We elevate him to his proper place. He's never out of that place, but it's our perspective on where he sits in our lives, right? So sometimes I think about it in worship. I'm like, okay, I'll picture like a city or even like a shelf in my mind. Like, this is my life shelf, and I just put Jesus on the top shelf, you know? Or I just picture Jesus' name just like going up high over a city and covering it. You know, whatever it is, you use your imagination, right? I'm very visual, so I'm like, okay, my problems are big, Jesus is over them, you know? (laughs) And it really works. It sounds silly, but it really helps. So what are the first fruits of worship? I think it looks like coming in ready. I'm not always good about this, honestly, but when a whole room full of people is connected to Jesus, when we come in ready to engage with him, it really doesn't matter how good your team is. Like, the worship team has less to do with worship than you guys do. Because we're just up here to, like, help open the doors for where we're all trying to go, right? And so if you guys are not connected and engaged, it doesn't matter how well we play. Nothing is going to happen in that sense. Um, But those big, beautiful, like, heavy worship moments that we all love to feel happen when everyone in the room engages and leans in, and it's focusing on Jesus as the main priority. And worship is saying to God, you are who you say you are, right? It's like telling him, hey, I believe that you are going to be true to your word. You are who you say you are. We can go to the next one. Um, Wonder. We've been touching on this a little bit already. But I think giving God the first fruit of our imagination is really key. Think about that. Like, I'm the type of person that, in my personality, I can think through, like, a hundred scenarios in a second. Like, you tell me, hey, we got to work this out. It works really well if you're, like, event planning. Because you're like, hey, we have this problem, and my brain's like, do that. You know, it's like, sometimes it's helpful. You're like hey, we don't have a place to live tomorrow. And I'm like, blah, 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 we're going to be homeless. We're going to live in a hotel. We're going to do this. Maybe we're homeless. I don't know. Blah, blah, you know? <laughs> You're not going to be homeless. But, you know, it's like you can think through all these scenarios, right? But what is the first place that my imagination goes? Does the first place it goes, do I imagine like, wow, God is going to give us something beyond what we could even imagine? You know, like it's so good. It's so good. It's going to be better than I could have thought. Like, do we start there and then ask him to show us how to imagine with him? I think wonder requires a lot of vulnerability and trust because it requires us to be present, which isn't always the nicest thing. We don't always want to be pleasant in whatever, pleasant. We don't always want to be present in whatever moment we're in. We don't want to be pleasant either sometimes, but um, we were at the beach yesterday with my niece and nephew and like taking them out into the water and watching their wonder at discovering something totally new. Like if you want to, if you don't know what wonder is, just watch a toddler do anything a hundred (laughs) times. That's wonder, right? Because they're like, wow, I touched this and it does that again 
and again, and again, and again, right? But that's wonder. They're discovering the world, and God created a beautiful world for us on purpose. He created a world where we could wonder, and one thing I love about wonder is it leads you into gratitude because it opens your heart, and so you can have wonder in the tiniest things. I love, there's a really awesome book called 1,000 Gifts where she makes this super, super practical, and this lady counts gifts that she finds. And it's as simple as um, loving, like, the sound of the crunch when her knife is cutting carrots and, like, the bright vibrancy of the color and literally finding beauty and things to be grateful for in the minutia of, like, oh, I'm stuck in traffic, but the shadows on the road are really cool or, like, wow, the sky's really beautiful right now, or I'm getting this moment to sit here and I can pray, just like totally opening your heart to wonder. And what happens is, this is another one of those rhythms, right? So you go, oh, that's beautiful. Thank you, Jesus. You made that beautiful thing for me. Wow, I love you. Oh, worship. And then you're receiving his presence, and then you're finding more beauty and more wonder, and that's moving your heart to gratitude. And it does this. So you just do this like cycle, this circle, this rhythm where you're like, oh man, the bricks on that wall are so cool. Oh, I love that. And you feel yourself just like open up a little bit. And then you're like, wow, Jesus, did you do that for me? What were you thinking when you made bricks that color? You can have so many fun conversations with Jesus about anything. He'll talk to you about literally anything. You're like, Romy's hair is cool. Why did you give her hair like that? It's cool. You like it too? Okay. You know, it's like you can have these really fun conversations with the Lord that totally change your atmosphere because you're opening yourself up to wonder. Wonder does, you cannot be self-protected and wonder, which makes it very difficult if you are in a like survival mode moment. You have to be vulnerable to wonder, but it does require you to go back to that place of dependence, right? That's what this whole first fruits thing is about. It's like, okay, Jesus, if I'm gonna give you the first part of my imagination, then you're gonna have to protect me while I open myself up to that. Does that make sense? Um, one thing that I have found that's helped me with this is uh, just really being intentional about what I look at on my phone first thing in the morning, or just not looking at my phone. <laughs> um, I'm really trying hard because I can tell a huge difference between I pick up my phone, I'm trying to wake up, I'm in a fog, I'm just gonna look at Instagram for five seconds and then I'm like, ah! Versus like, okay, I will not look at anything on my phone that's not my Bible app until I've started work, you know? I don't even, this is me, I'm not telling you what to do. You have to talk to Jesus about what works well for you. I took Facebook app off my phone, which created so much more peace in my life. And then I moved Instagram a few pages back, and I made a rule for myself that I can't look at it till after noon. And my whole morning is so nice now. It's like, oh, I don't have to deal with any of that. And I used to like Instagram because it helped me wonder, because I followed so many people that posted beautiful, wonderful things that's not really where it's at for me right now, so maybe if it comes back to that, it'll be different. But look for ways you can help yourself. So that allows me to give the first fruits of my day to Jesus. And then the rest of it, I just have to be careful with. Does that make sense? And so you find what works for you. That may work for you, it may not. But you can invite Holy Spirit to teach you to wonder, and he will. A um, couple more here. You guys good? Tracking? Okay, 
Let's go to the next one. Um, wealth. This does not necessarily mean money, but it can mean money. It talks about a lot in scripture and Proverbs. I'm going to read you this proverb. It says, trust in the Lord completely. Do not rely on your own opinions. With all your heart, rely on him to guide you, and he will lead you in every decision you make. This is so good, you guys. It says, become intimate with him in whatever you do, and he will lead you wherever you go. Isn't that great? Don't think for a moment that you know it all. I mean, Proverbs will give it to you straight, right? He's like, don't think for a moment you know it all. For wisdom comes when you adore him with undivided devotion and avoid everything that's wrong. So if you're lacking wisdom, get more devotion, right? That's, there's like a very clear parallel there. And here's where I'm getting to, right? So wisdom comes when you adore him with undivided devotion and avoid everything that's wrong. Then you will find the healing refreshment your body and spirit long for in undivided devotion. And then this is their conclusion. So glorify God with all your wealth, honoring him with your first fruits, with every increase that comes to you. Then every dimension of your life will overflow with blessings from an uncontainable source of inner joy. It's pretty clear. Um, glorify God with all your wealth, honoring him with your first fruits, with every increase that comes to you. Then every dimension of your life will overflow with blessings from an uncontainable source of inner joy. And this is something I was finding as I was looking into this with first fruits. It's like, okay, if you're lacking in provision, maybe look at where the first fruits of your income are going. Are they going to the Lord? I, I, I didn't ask them if I could talk about this because <laughs> we never talk about giving at church, right? So for my family, we believe in tithing and we give 10% of our gross income to the church. But we will take extra things sometimes like stimulus checks and give 10% of them to meal trains and orphans and missions, you know? So we vary it up. That's what works for us. You have to decide what works for you. But we had a hilarious conversation where we're like, oh no, we realized we forgot to tithe on all the stimulus checks. Oh shoot, that's a lot of money. And so we just got a great, huge extra giving fund that's been so fun. We're like, oh my gosh, we can give money to these people and this mission thing we've wanted to give to you forever and this thing we've wanted to give to you forever and this thing we've wanted to give to you forever. And we're getting to bless people out of abundance. It's so fun. It's awesome. And we found that the more we are intentional, like we've been very intentional with our money this year and budgeting and working to get out of debt and doing all these things, the more intentional we are with like relentlessly giving to the Lord what we feel we should, the more we've found like blessing and increase in provision. The better stewards we've been with our money and we've continued to give to the Lord, we've found just like increase beyond what we could imagine. It's been wild. And so if that's an area where you're struggling or lacking, I just encourage you to have a conversation with the Lord about it. I think it can look like more than just money because it says honor God with the first fruit of your labor. And so I think there's things like serving. Clayton was saying we need people to do lots of things in church. Kids is a huge need. Sound is a big need. Setup's a big need. If you want to, if you play an instrument or sing, we could use you on the worship team. Um, shameless plug. Come talk to me if you want to do that. Uh, but what does that look like? Maybe it doesn't look like doing something in church. Maybe it looks like you have a burning passion to work with the homeless or Habitat for Humanity or 
you know, human trafficking victims, whatever it is, whatever you feel like God is calling you to do, what does it look like for you to give the first fruits of your labor to the Lord? That's a conversation you have to have with them, but I think it could be a really fun one. Um, two more here, we're almost done. So next one, uh, I want to just touch on warring with the word. So in Numbers, when we were all the way back in Mount Sinai, Moses said he wished all God's people were prophets and would put his spirit on them all. And God is speaking to you all the time. He wants his children to all hear his voice. Before Jesus, before Holy Spirit, he wanted that. Now, now that we have Holy Spirit living in us all the time, we have constant access to that. And so I think there's a place of well, it's twofold. One half of warring with the word is being in your Bible. Like, that's a pretty easy one. Um, that if you don't know the word, it's very hard to fight with it. <laughs> um, and something I really love, the reason I put this sword on there, is that when it talks about the sword of the spirit, the word of God, it's the, a curved sword. It's not, I think we think, a lot, some of you guys have heard me talk about this before. I think we think of the sword of the spirit as being like, um, like a Roman centurion, like a straight big knight sword, right? And you're like, the devil's like, you're stupid and no one likes you. And you're like, no, everyone likes me, you know? And you're like fighting. You're like par- sword fighting him, parrying, right? That's not how this sword works. This sword is meant to be used from horseback, so from a higher position where we are already seated with Christ. And it's curved so you can ride by your enemy and cut off his head and not lose your sword. And so... That looks more like the enemy being like, oh, you just get angry all the time. You're just angers who you are. And you're like, no, I'm the righteousness of Christ and Jesus and peace is my identity. You just keep going. You don't stay and have a fight. Like, we don't fight with the devil like that. You're just like, no, this is what God said about me. Bye. And um, literally, I'm not joking. That's how it's supposed to go. And the word, so the sword of the spirit, we got the sword, right? And the word is rhema word, which is the breathed on now word. So that can be scripture where, um, like I was just quoting scriptures, like, no, I am the righteousness of Christ and Jesus. I do not have a spirit of fear. That's a huge one for me. I grew up with tons of nightmares, being scared of the dark and scared of everything. I would be like in my bed at night after a nightmare, like, I don't have a spirit of fear. I have a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. I'm just like, I use this stuff to do battle because it's powerful. Like, that's a verse that Jesus gave me that I don't have that spirit. I have power, love, and a sound mind. I receive your power. I receive your love. I receive your mind. Like, that's warfare. And then you just go back to sleep, right? Then you move on. You don't keep fighting the devil over it. So whatever those, when you're in the word, anything Jesus breathes on that jumps off the page at you, that stands out, that is a rhema word that you can use to fight. Also, if someone gives you a prophetic word, that's also a rhema word that you can use to fight. Or if God speaks a word to you, you can also use that. And I just want to encourage you guys because I feel like sometimes with the prophetic, it can feel really easy to do <laughs> like what my niece Hazel always tries to say. I'm like, let's do this. She's like, I'll do that when I'm older. You're like, you could do it right now. Um, you can do it right now. Okay, so I just want to encourage you guys. I think sometimes we think that if you're up here giving a word, you like have it all figured out. Most of the time, if I come up to here to give a word, I have like half of it. And I'm 50%, this is what Jesus is saying, 50% faith. And Kim, yeah, is that true for you too? So like, that's the reality. It's not like, oh, I have this huge open vision where Jesus has said, go to the front of the church and say this. I'm just like, oh, 
we were praying for Sammy, and I saw this, like, quick picture in my mind of her, like, playing and being childlike, very Sammy-esque, and I just felt like the Lord said that your childlikeness is going to, like, raise people's heads and help give them hope, and you can just keep being you, Sammy, and that's going to, like, actually really, really bless people, but, like, I didn't have a whole thing. I just had a quick picture, and I have faith that God wants to speak to me. This is what he sounds like, and I can move on it. You can ask God a couple of fast questions if you're not sure if you're going to step out in the prophetic. You can ask him, is this from you? That's a really good first question if you're not sure. Jesus, is this from you? If it lines up with scripture and it's encouraging, it's probably from Jesus. Um, Is this for me or is it for other people? Is this for now? What does it mean? And what do you want me to do with it? Those are really good questions. And then when he answers those for you, do something with it. Like if he gives you a word for someone, share it with them. If he gives you a word for you, write it down. Use it to do warfare. Last thing, and I know we're late. It's just waiting in faith. So you can go to the last one. So I want to encourage you guys. I know there's a lot of people waiting for different things. We're all waiting for things in different seasons. And Romans says... 12 says, be enthusiastic to serve the Lord, keeping your passion towards him boiling hot. Radiate with the glow of Holy Spirit and let him fill you with excitement as you serve him. Let this hope burst forth within you, releasing a continual joy. Don't give up in time of trouble, but commune with God at all times. Do you see this pattern of like adoring God, communing with him and having joy and peace and things released? Um, There's something really powerful about bringing gratitude and worship and adoration to God when we're waiting. Something Bill Johnson said that's always stuck with me is that earth is the only place we get to bring God an offering out of pain. In heaven, we won't have pain. We won't have sorrow. We won't have tears. We'll just be constantly overflowing with joy and gladness and worship. But on earth, like I was telling you that anxiety example, like, Jesus, I trust you even if I feel anxiety. Like, we will only be able to bring him those offerings on earth. And God loves that. And so in the waiting, just be faithful to continue to come to him. Jesus knew this tension. He lived in the tension of waiting. And there's going to be a lot of things that we won't understand, might not see on this side of heaven. But let us be heavenly minded. Let us be engaging and communing with Jesus so that as we're waiting, we're setting our hearts in the promise in the in that he's faithful. You know what I mean? We're worshiping. We're not like worrying, having faith in the wrong God, right? Like we're having faith in our God. We're trusting in him. And um, I don't know why, but I felt like I should give this very brief encouragement. If you're single and you're waiting, it's worth it. I'm just going to say, just have hope in the waiting. I didn't get married till I was 34, and um, this might be TMI for some people, but my husband was the first person that I slept with, that I had sex with. So, like, if you are waiting for that, just hold on to it. It is so worth waiting for. It's totally, totally worth it. And um, if you are struggling with... Some of the things, I just feel like our culture is throwing so many things, especially at single people right now, but at everybody. Like, so many questions, so many challenges, so many different things. So if you're struggling, just know that there's, um, the Lord has the answers for all of these things in the waiting. And so, um, it all comes back to intimacy. 
God wants to be close to us. He sent Jesus the first fruit of his strength, his only son, to die so we could live in communion with him. He sent Holy Spirit, the first fruit of his covenant with us, to help us and teach us, and we have unlimited access. So we can do that quick check-in. Where am I giving my first fruits? Where do I go first for comfort, for wisdom, for strength, for vision? And then we can choose to bring the first fruit of our lives, wonder and worship and all of those other things to the Lord to have an acknowledgement of his provision and an overflow of our love for him. So can I pray really fast? Uh, Father, thank you so much for your kindness that you are constantly wanting to be close to us. You're constantly pursuing intimacy with us. You've made a way for us to draw close to you and that you have demonstrated your love for us through continually pouring out the first fruit of your heart, the first fruit of your spirit, and Jesus for us, Lord. And so will you teach us how to come to you first, how to bring the best and the first part of everything we have to give you to you. And would you come and just bring that fresh fire to our community today, Lord? Would we experience a fresh outpouring of your spirit of Pentecost, Lord, uh, as we leave this morning? Would you refresh and, and refill and kindle that flame in our hearts in a new way, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this, or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.